You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice for all the feasts and all the holidays and all the Sabbaths. They had to continually sacrifice. But once a year he would come in and he would cover the sin for one more year. But when Jesus shed his blood on the cross and entered that holy of holies, our sins were washed clean. Our sins were gone, never to return. Our sins were taken away and thrown into the depths of the sea. And in him we have redemption forevermore. Can you imagine having to make animal sacrifices in order to receive forgiveness? It was God's grace that allowed them to atone for their sins in that way. If you're thankful to not have to get your hands dirty, then this lesson is for you. In today's message, Pastor Dave will teach you about the pinnacle of God's grace found in Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and 3 as he continues his message, Solomon Gets Busy. know that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, dying on the cross on Mount Moriah. So here now, they're going to make sacrifice. Solomon is going to build this temple where they're going to make sacrifices to God, and it's on the exact same place. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. It's on the exact same place. And I keep telling you this, I touched it. I put my hand on it. I put my hand on the bedrock of Mount Moriah. Come with us to Israel. You can do it too. I can't help myself. Now, they think this was about 967 B.C., and if you look at 1 Kings 6.1, it shows just how long Israel lived in the Promised Land without a temple. Now, the tabernacle served the nation for some 400 years. The tabernacle served the nation for 400 years. Remember, the tabernacle was a place that you could tear down and carry with you. It was basically a tent with a great big fence around it. That's what the tabernacle was. And every time the cloud moved, they would have to pack up the tabernacle and they would have to carry the tabernacle to the next place. When the cloud stopped and the fire came out, they would rebuild the tabernacle. And this is what they had to do. For 400 years, they had the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was now at Gibeon. Remember, it was at Gibeon. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't in Jerusalem. They wanted to build a temple. It was... The will of God, maybe, but it was absolutely necessary. The will of God, then absolutely necessary. They had to have this because God wanted them to have a place. It took Solomon four years to make ready and gather all the material that David had given them. And so beginning in verse 3 through the rest of the chapter, we see the dimensions of this incredible, incredible structure. It was an absolute incredible structure. It only had several rooms. Now, as we go through this, you need to remember that a cubit is about 18 inches. A cubit is 18 inches. I've done some of the math. You can do the rest. So it's about 18 inches. Let's read 3 through 7. 
This is the foundation which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God. The length was 60 cubits by cubits according to the former measure, and the width 20 cubits. And the vestibule that was in front of the sanctuary was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and height was 120, and overlaid the inside with pure gold. The larger room he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold, and carved palm trees and chainwork on it. And he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold from Parvian. He also overlaid the house, the beams, the doorposts, its walls, and the doors with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls. So what does this mean? It means that the temple proper was about 90 feet long by 30 feet wide by 45 feet high. All right? It wasn't huge when you think of temples that time. It wasn't enormous, but it was opulent. It was gold. It was gold everywhere. But it was the glory of Israel was not in its size. What made the glory of the temple? It glorified presence of God, absolutely. The presence of God. The presence of God. Allowing for the outside storage, the vestibule, the estimated thickness of the walls, and the total size of the structure was perhaps 75 cubits or 110 feet by 50 cubits or 75 feet. The dimensions of the temple also tell us that it was built on the same design as the tabernacle, but only twice the size. The same design as the tabernacle, but twice the size. You can go back to Exodus and read all about how they put the tabernacle together. But the tabernacle, as I said, was basically a tent. They could pack it up or they could move it. The temple was going to be a permanent fixture, meaning the people had to arrive at their destination. They had to get there. They had to go there. It would be the one place where they were to worship God, the temple. Who came at Jesus saying that this was the only place the Jews had to go. The woman at the well, remember? Well, the Jews say we have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We worship our fathers on this mountain. The woman at the well claimed it because she said it. They knew it. that's where they had to go to worship because that's where the temple was. They had to go up there to worship. They had to get there. It's interesting to me that one of the commentators I read called the temple a picture of the New Testament saints being built by the Lord. And look at Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 21. 19 through 21 in Ephesians 2 says this, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And we know from Corinthians, Paul calls us the temple of God because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. So we now are the temple of God, and the God is always with us by his Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. We are being built for his glory and for his pleasure. Just like the temple of Solomon, he's building it here, even though we have a rough surface. We are built with a costly foundation. It was costly foundation because it was built on the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. 
All pieces are being framed and fitted together in this holy temple. We are being conformed into the image of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. We are under construction. We are a work in progress. We are the temple of God. Read about it in Corinthians. The stones used to build the temple were all cut and prepared at another site. And the stones were only assembled at the building site of the temple. The story has it that when Jesus said, talked about the cornerstone that they threw away, the cornerstone that they mislaid, tradition has it that they cut the cornerstone first. And when they brought it, the builder said, what do you bring in the cornerstone first? We don't put that in until later. Get, put it away. And they put it away and they put all other stones on top of it. And this is what Jesus was referring to. He's the cornerstone of our church. And he was put away. He was put away. But he's our cornerstone. He is our cornerstone. And it's interesting that, you know, we're called living stones by Peter. The apostle Peter calls us living stones. Corson, talking about living stones, said this, quote, The world is a rock quarry. It's the place where we are chipped and cut, polished and ground, so that when we get to heaven, the clamor will cease and the work will be complete, unquote. I think that's pretty cool. I think pretty cool. So that gives you the overall look. Now, Back into Second Chronicles, we come to probably the most important part of the temple. Can anybody tell me what that is? It's the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. It's the place where the priest went in and met with God. It's the place where God, the Shekinah glory of God, came and sat on the mercy seat between the cherubim. It was the place where the priest went in, but he had to go in with blood. He had to make sure that he not only sacrificed for the nation of Israel, but before that, he had to sacrifice for himself. And he went in with the sprinkle of blood, and he couldn't go in there without blood. And you know the old stories that they had bells at the end of their robes, so they could hear him, because nobody was allowed in there. If you went in there and you weren't a priest, you were killed. You couldn't go in there. And if the priest went in there and he did something wrong, he was killed. And they heard the bell stop tinkling, and they had a rope tied to his leg so they could drag him out. This was no small thing. The holy of holy. It's called the most holy place. It was a 30-foot cube overlaid with gold. Look at verses 8 through 14. And he made the most holy place. That's the holy of holies. Its length was according to the width of the house, 20 cubits, and its width, 20 cubits. And it overlaid with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper area with gold. In the most holy place, he had two cherubim fashioned by carving and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits length overall. They were massive. 20 cubits, 20 times 18. One wing of one of the cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room. The other wing was five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub. One wing of the other cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room, and the other wing of the five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub. The wings of these cherubs spanned 20 cubits overall. They stood on their feet, and they faced inward. He made the veil of blue, purple, crimson, fine linen, and wove cherubim into it. Wow. This must have been some beautiful place. 
This must have been so gorgeous, odorated with 600 talents of gold. The gold was everywhere in the temple, but most importantly, it was in the most holy place. The walls were covered with gold, according to 1 Kings 6. The floor was gold, according to 1 Kings 6. And gold was hammered into all the carvings of the door. These two cherubim fashioned by carving and overlaid with gold. These two large sculptures inside the most holy place faced the entrance of this inner room. So as soon as the high priest entered, he saw these giant guardians standing there, like guarding God's presence facing him. Incredible. Incredible place. He went in there once a year. He went in there once a year for sacrifice. Sacrifice for the nation. Took a lamb without spot. Taking it in there, taking the blood of that lamb and sprinkling it on the mercy seat. Taking that blood. Oh, they sacrificed constantly. They sacrificed almost every day at the new moons and day and night they sacrificed. But this one on the day of the atonement, on the one big day, they did that. And then he made a veil. This barrier separating the holy place from the most holy place. It's a barrier that came down, a very, very thick veil, this beautiful, beautiful crimson veil. Once a year, you could go past that veil as the high priest. When Jesus died with his own blood, he entered into that most holy place for us. He entered in for us took away our sins. See, in the temple, as beautiful as it was, as gorgeous as it was, the priests had to go back every year and do it because it was just a covering. They had to continually sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice for all the feasts and all the holidays and all the Sabbaths. They had to continually sacrifice. But once a year, he would come in and he would cover the sin for one more year. But when Jesus shed his blood on the cross and entered that holy of holies. Our sins were washed clean. Our sins were gone, never to return. Our sins were taken away and thrown into the depths of the sea. And in him we have redemption forevermore. When Jesus died, you know, in Matthew, it tells us that the veil in that temple, that veil that we were talking about, was rent, meaning it was torn. And it was torn from top to bottom. In this huge room, this veil was rent. And it's a very, very thick, thick curtain. What does that tell us? It tells us that there's no longer a barrier for us to come into the holy place. There's no longer a barrier separating the most holy place and us. And the scripture says we can boldly come into the throne. We can boldly come into the throne because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can boldly come into the throne room and confess our sins to him who is just and faithful to forgive our sins. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Beautiful picture. It's open. It's open. Beautiful picture. And finally, in verses 15 through 17... Least we forget our pillars. We come to our pillars. I love these guys. I love these guys. We come to our pillars in 15 through 17. Also, he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high, 
and the capital which that was on the top of each of them was five cubits. He made wreaths of chain work as in the inner sanctuary and put them on top of the pillars and he made 100 pomegranates and put them on the wreaths of the chain work. Then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And he called the name of the one on the right, Joachim, and the one on the left, Boaz. Yeah, yeah. 52 feet, five inches high. They were massive. They were enormous. They were made of bronze, and they had all these ornaments on it, and they were given names. They were given names, and they had impressive names because Joachim means he shall establish, and Boaz means strength. And every time they would come to the house of the Lord in the days of the Solomon, they would speak up, look, he shall establish, and look, in him is our strength. And it set them in the right frame to come into the house and worship the Lord, seeing those pillars standing there. And the crowds gathered in the morning and the evening of the worship. The Levites would lead them and standing in front, and they would come to the pillars, and they would all, he shall establish, and in him is our strength, and they would all shout. Wow. One could say that the house of God itself was Joaquin and Boaz. The temple was established by God, and it was built by God. But every time they looked at the temple, they knew that God had established it and strengthened them all things. What a beautiful picture. The house of God is a place where people experience the pillars were all about. At that house, people were established in the relationship of God. And, and at that house, people were given strength from the Lord. He shall establish. And in him is our strength. What beautiful things. Yelling to the entire community, come here, get established. Come here, receive the strength of God. And when we come up to our church, we too see two pillars standing at the door. Two pillars standing at the door. Incredible pillars. And in one he shall establish, and the other one God is his strength. And they stand there, and they welcome everybody that comes in. And everybody that comes in knows that God is in this place, and God is with them. And they are welcomed with love and cheer. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter who they are. But they're welcome to come into the community of saints and welcome God. And I'm so blessed by them. I'm so blessed by them. We haven't been able to figure out which one's Joaquin and which one's Boaz. Though. We're going to have to have maybe arm wrestle one of these days to find out who's who. I don't know. People coming into this community of saints feel welcome. They come in here and they feel blessed because they're greeted with such love and with such devotion and true love and true diversion, just like these two pillars stood at the entrance of the temple. These two pillars, strong and mighty, he shall establish in him God his strength. Just think about that. What do we do here? What do we do? People come in. And people come in. And I come up with three things that, that I think are appropriate here. What is our goal here? Well, we want people to come in and we want them to get saved. We want them to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We want people to come in here and we want them to get settled. We want them to get established in God's word. And we want them to get to know God, to know him personally. And then we send them. So they get saved, they get settled, and then we send them. They go out into the world, and they become representatives of Christ. They become representatives of other people. And they come in, and they're established, and they're strengthened here. People were strengthened in God's word, because God's word is a strengthening fact in our lives. It's our sustenance. It's our daily bread. It's our manna that comes from heaven, God's holy word. And he speaks to us through it. And he strengthens us, and we can face anything with God in our heart, with God in our lives. 
And that's what it is to be a fellowship of believers. People getting saved, people coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in him, trusting in him, hoping in him, knowing that God raised him from the dead, confessing their sins, and being born again into a living hope and becoming one of those living stones, part of the temple, and then becoming the temple of God that God can dwell in by the Holy Spirit. And as they get strengthened in the Lord and as they get settled in the Lord and established in the Lord, they learn that they need the power of the Lord and then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then they come out these walls and they walk out that door and pass the pillars again because they're there. They walk past the pillars again and, and they're strengthened and they're established and they can face whatever happens out there every day of the week, every day of the year. No matter what the political scene is, no matter what the cultural scene is, no matter what's happening in their lives, they can face it because God has established them and God has given them strength. And that's what happens in a fellowship of believers. And that's what we're all about. And that's what we do. And that's what we try to do. And we couldn't do it on our own. We have to have the Holy Spirit that helps us do it. We can't do it on our own. It's through the Holy Spirit that all these things are done. And the closer you draw to God, the closer his spirit is with you and you know it, he's inside you. But you have to have that power. You have to have that strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. And that's why we keep saying you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to get that power. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' words, not mine. If you want to argue about it, argue Jesus. Don't argue with me. Or his words. Or his words. You will receive power. Promise of the Father. My goodness. That that's what we do here. That's what life is about here. And that's all we do here. That's why we teach God's word. Because in God's word, you will become settled. You'll be become established. And you will know and you will grow and you'll get stronger and you'll be strengthened because the Lord gives you strength as you study his word. Like I said, it never comes back void. It never comes back void. And then you're ready. Then you're ready. Then we open the door and one of the pillars kicks you out. No, that's not true. They don't kick you out. They don't, they don't kick you out. No. You go out into the crazy world that's outside. The crazy world that keeps closing in on us. The crazy world that's spinning out of control. But it's spinning right into the place where God wants it. It is spinning directly towards his plan, the eternal plan he has. The eternal plan he has. I love this. I just think this is so exciting to see. God's plan hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's still the same plan. I love you. I'm your God, he's saying. I want a fellowship with you. Before I gave you a law, you couldn't abide by it. But I sent my only son, Jesus Christ. Through him, by him, you can have fellowship back with me. That's what God's saying to us. Giving us what a, my goodness. When you think about it, when you get right down to the seriousness of it, the creator of the universe is wanting to have a fellowship with you. Wanting to get close to you and draw you close to him. Wanting to help you in your time and strengthen you in life and give you everything you need for life and godliness. Then he wants you to help him by talking about him and having people come to him so he can do the same thing in their lives. Not that he needs your help, but he uses us. He likes to use us. So that's what we do and I get excited about it. You are a sure. 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. The book follows the kingship of Solomon all the way through until both Judah and Israel are taken over by other kingdoms surrounding them. There are many moments of great faith within these pages and also typical moments of falling away from where Israel had begun. But the moments of faith put a spotlight on God and His amazing ways of coming through for His people. No matter the situation, God is on the throne. He's more powerful than any opposing country or enemy that's coming against you. So take courage and believe God for big things today. If you're enjoying this series from Assure Hope, we invite you to check out more messages at assurehoperadio.com. Get to know more about Pastor Dave while you're there. You can also get a feel for the church behind this ministry, too. That church is Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. Please feel free to explore our website to get more information on service times and other useful information. If you're not in the area, why not find us on Facebook or YouTube? We live stream our services to both of these platforms. Find links to both of these on our website, assurehoperadio.com. If for any reason you'd like to email us, you're welcome to do that as well. Our email address is info at capewatchradio.com. Our time is up for now, but make sure you come back again for another edition with Pastor Dave, teaching through the book of Second Chronicles on a sure hope. Oh